welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Game Dev with a Shot of Jameson. My name is Jameson Doral, and I'm a game designer with 20 years of experience, and I like to help people learn more about video game development. Today we're joined by Ashley Cooper. She's a writer in games. We start off talking about her start in television and film, and then the move into game writing with cool projects like Gotham Knights, and also why it's important to be yourself when networking. Don't forget you can join the conversation live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. There's a link in the show notes if you want to come get your questions answered live next time. But for now, let's get this episode started. All right, are you ready to get started? Fuck yeah, dude. Let's do it. All right. Let's get into some shit. Yeah. <laughs> let's start with young Ashley growing up. What did you think you were going to do as when you became an adult and had to like actually make money for yourself in this world? Thought I was going to draw comic books. Oh, really? Yeah, I've always been stupid. Um, no, I was <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> um, I when I was growing up, I kind of spent a lot of time in art, um, drawing, uh, making my own comic books. Um, writing short stories, like all that kind of stuff. I like I had no reason to actually expect to be able to do any of it professionally because like I came from like a very blue collar family. My dad was a forklift driver. Like my mom was a stay at home. Like my like it just it just was not kind of like on the radar of like a list of things that were possible. Um, but I had incredibly encouraging parents, perhaps to a fault. Uh, <laughs> and they were like, if you work hard enough, there's nothing that's out of your reach, potentially. Uh, <laughs> they always like they always like to add a little bit at the end that like to make sure that I kept my uh, expectations <laughs> in line. But that like right. hard work was the big determining factor in what you were able to accomplish. Right. Um, and that it could account for a lot. And so I just had this idea like I wanted to. I always wanted to tell stories and one of the most straightforward ways I knew how to do that as a kid was through comic books. Cause I understood it was a drawn page, right? Yeah. Like that I could wrap my head around. Um, so I used to make my own comics. I used to do them in art class and stuff like that. And uh, when I was in grade school, when I was in fifth grade, I drew wrote and drew a series of comic books and sold them uh, at in the hallway during lunch hour at school uh, for 75 cents a piece. All right. Uh, and raised $85 uh, what? to go toward the school's, uh, they were doing fundraising drive for a new playground. Um, and so to be that age and to make that kind of money for something felt like I was on top of the world. Like I realized now I paid for like a bag of sand or something like that. Right. But like <laughs> at the time I felt like so accomplished and I was like, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. Because uh, I just, you you kind of get that high of like success, right? And you're like, oh, okay, so I can just do that then. Um, and so that kind of became a driving force for a really long time. Um, and then that transitioned a little bit because I eventually started to age up and got into high school. And my appetite for complex storytelling evolved faster than my ability to illustrate Okay. Good complex stories. Sure. <laughs> um, and uh, eventually found a visual communications class that I took that was all about like filmmaking and television and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, I can wrap my head around this. Maybe this is what I'll end up doing. And then that's what I ended up 
uh, pursuing in post-secondary and stuff like that. Okay. So I, uh, I'm curious about one question. I'm going to ask this and then I'm going to take my second shot. So were you a Marvel or a DC fan growing up? Was there one that was a, a bigger thrill for you than the other? It was less about the world itself and more about the characters. Mm -hmm. uh, Dick Grayson is my favorite comic book character of all time. Uh, so I ended up reading a lot of DC comics as a result of that. Okay. Um, but it was more about like I had favorite characters on in both worlds sort of thing. Okay. And then I was also like a big image comics kid, too, because that was kind of around the same time like Spawn was really hitting off. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a big Marvel or uh, I was well, always a big Marvel fan, but then I also loved Image when that stuff started happening. I'm with you there. All right. So so you had then you said it was a an high school course that kind of directed you into into the writing side of things a little more heavily. That's that's nice. I didn't have anything like that when I was in high school. Yeah, it was I was very fortunate because I had a really encouraging teacher in that class who understood and recognized that like I had an interest in it and did whatever she could to help foster that interest. That's awesome. And I, have you talked to them since? Like, do they know that? that I have actually, nice. uh, weirdly enough. So through a weird set of circumstances, I ended up shooting a feature film in the school that she teaches at now. <laughs> That's awesome. And I only found that out because her classroom ended up being the room that I worked out of uh, as one of the producers on the film because ah. it was next door to the room we were using to shoot in. That's crazy. It was wild. It was so weird. <laughs> nice. So where, where did you grow up? Like what, what part? Where Hamilton, was... Ontario, okay. which is about an hour outside of Toronto for those who aren't familiar with the geography. Gotcha. Okay. So then as you're finishing high school, you've now got this passion for, for writing and film and, and that area. What, what was next? Like what, especially being in Canada, what, what are the, like, how does a post-secondary education work there? Is it the same as here? Do you kind of pick where you want to go? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I ended up, uh, I ended up touring a game design and development school first. Okay. Uh, cause that has always kind of been what I've wanted out of my life. Um, like when I was younger in like grade school, I knew that I wanted to make games, but it was such a like opaque nebulous thing. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. Um, there was like, I didn't know anybody in that world. I didn't understand that world. I just understood that you bought the cartridge and there was magic inside. Right. <laughs> um, it was not as clear to me as like a comic book that was like, it was written, it was drawn. That's how you do the thing. Like we didn't have like powerful computer in our house when I was growing up at that age and stuff like that. Um, but I was finding myself really drawn to like when I would go to a friend's place and we would play Mario or we'd play Sonic or we'd play Resident Evil or something like that. And so when I was a kid, probably like grade four or five, like around the same time I was doing the comic book stuff, I drew video games. That doesn't make any sense, but let me explain. Um, I would take kind of the design principles of like something along the lines of Resident Evil. And I would find I would basically made almost kind of like looking back like tabletop versions of them. Okay. 
where I would like draw out a map. I would put little like items on, like I would draw little items on tables and stuff like that. And I would draw where the enemies were and stuff like that. And then I would draw where the, the player, the player started. And then I would take the sheet of paper to a friend and I'd be like, do you want to play my game? And then they would basically, basically they would use the, the dull end of a pencil to like trace their movements and explain what they were doing. And then I would tell them, oh, uh, you know, they would walk past, you know, a shadowy area with some eyes that I drew in it and they would walk around and like ignore it. And I'd be like, oh, you got attacked by the monster over there. You only have two hit points left. And I <laughs> like I, I, I had never played D&D before or like any tabletop, anything like that. But I was try I was basically like doing the video game like in my imagination because it was the only way that I could process how to like make one. Interesting. Um, but it was such like obviously like very removed from what a video game actually is. Uh, so then like I just put it basically like tucked it away in the back of my head. Like that's not something that's an option for for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you were so then when you were it was game time designing. to think about post secondary school, I was like. I wonder what about video games because I'd heard of this school, uh, Interna International Academy of Design and Technology. Uh, they had uh, they had come to my high school at one point, and I was scoring really well in programming uh, and stuff like that when I was in high school. Um, and they came, and they were like, "We got video games," and I was like, "Oh shit!" So then I went and toured their program, um, and just didn't see myself in what they were offering it was mm. it was a lot of like animation this polygon that all that kind of stuff which if that like it was a great school if that was the kind of stuff that you wanted to do if you wanted to do the meat and potatoes of game design and development but i have always been drawn to telling stories and writing and stuff like that and not once the entire time i was there did anybody say the words writing or narrative or story mm -hmm. and i was like oh okay i don't i don't think this is for me then and then so again i wrote off video games as a thing that i could do and then they also in that program or in that school were sharing space with uh, a program called the toronto film school mm. and they're like we have writing and i was like okay that i understand <laughs> uh and so i kind of ended up shuffling myself uh in that direction that's interesting yeah, it's funny you didn't even realize at that point that what you were doing with the paper that was paper game design, right? Like that's that's a lot of yeah. times where we start all design, you know, and then but you you took it a little further obviously, but that's uh that's really interesting, especially having no insight into how games are made that you kind of did something very representative of that. I like it. <laughs> so then so you you head to Toronto, you start your program. Is it a 4-year program? It is an intensive 18-month uh, program. Okay. And what was that it was like? A it was a private college. It was intense. Like, every single class was filmmaking-related. Mm -hmm. There were no, like, electives or anything like that. It was a very streamlined, focused program. In and out in 18 months. Quote-unquote, arm you with everything you need in the real world sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it sounds very similar to the way Full Cell operates. That's interesting. All right. So what uh what what was like your time there like like what 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 did you kind of focus short. on what's that words <laughs> my time there was short that's oh, what short. it was like <laughs> nice uh, <laughs> I uh, I dropped out about halfway through the program oh uh it was great that it was great while I was there um but uh I was finding that I so I was not, I was not 
the kind of kid that performed well academically traditionally speaking like growing up yeah i struggled a lot in uh courses that were outside of kind of my interest um and found it very hard to kind of apply myself when it was like history this or math that that kind of stuff i was like i had a hard time like retaining the information and stuff um and then when i went to that visual communications class in high school i didn't just do well i got the highest mark in my class Mm. which for me at the time was huge that to me was an indicator that this was something that this was working yeah and so when i went to film school I kind of carried that over and was so dedicated to like, I am going to make this work. Um, And basically the entire time I was there, I got nineties and everything Um, because I was like really over committing to my homework. I was like doing extra stuff on top of the assignments and it was great. I was performing really well, but what it ended up doing was I was starting to lap the program (laughs) because one of the things that was great about that program was that there was basically a uh, equipment library where after you passed certain tests that proved you knew how to respect and understand the operation of the equipment you could check it out on weekends and so i would check out gear and shoot things with my classmates in our downtime and then eventually I shot uh, two short films basically over the course of like two months from each other. And I shot one of them on 16 millimeter film, which was still a thing at the time. It was just kind of starting to get phased out. So it was kind of like the big sexy, like, ooh, we have film cameras at this school. Um, So kind of like get them while they're hot sort of thing, because they were (laughs) not going to be around much longer. Uh, Like the red and stuff like that were just kind of hitting the market. The stuff that really ushered in the HD shooting era in hollywood um and the the kind of the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow for that program at the end of the 18 months was that you were going to get to shoot a short film on film stock and i was like okay well we're halfway through the program and i did that now Uh. so what else do you have to offer me yeah and the answer was nothing (laughs) uh so instead of continuing to just sink money into the program i left Mm. uh i was like i think i've got everything that i need out of this i'm out i've got all my classmates on facebook if i want to shoot something with them i know how to get a (laughs) hold of them uh thanks for your time i'll see you later uh and i left and i basically just started to hit the ground running trying to get jobs on sets and stuff like that and build up a cv okay so uh, Psych, Psych Diver in the chat says your short film uh, Interview with a Time Traveler is amazing. What's that about? Uh, Interview with a Time Traveler is a film that I shot a few years ago. That was not my films, not my film school work. Okay. Uh, Interview with a Time Traveler is a short film uh, about a guy who gets in touch with somebody and basically claims to be a time traveler. And the other guy is a journalist who takes it upon themselves to try to figure out whether or not they're telling the truth. Interesting. How short is it? Like how long, how long did it last? Or how With long credits, it? it's 10 minutes. Okay. Interesting. I'd like to see that. Let's put us a link in the chat later. Definitely. Yeah. 
Uh, it stars Elias Tufexis, who a lot of your audience will know as uh, the voice of Adam Jensen and a bunch of other video game characters. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So you're now done with this university and you are trying to to fulfill your dreams as a writer in film, right? And that's kind of where your focus was at this point? Yeah. Okay. So so what was next? Like you're out there looking to get on a set. What what did that look like for you? Did you have any success early on? Uh some stuff here and there, basically just production assistants and stuff like that. Um like a day here, a day there. I kind of had this um MO at the time that I kind of stole from Kevin Smith. Uh, where I refused to take any job for longer than a year mm. um, because I didn't want to get complacent. Okay. And if I stayed anywhere for too long, I ran the risk of making good money. And if I was making good money, it would become really easy to get comfortable. And if I got comfortable, it would be really easy to decide that was fine and leave it at that. Um, I grew up in Hamilton, which I mentioned earlier, uh, which is kind of a black hole where ambition goes to die. <laughs> um, uh, I have a, a very specific relationship with Hamilton, but the thing that I dislike the most about it is how much I feel like it's held my friends back. Mm. Um, I went to school with a lot of people who had a lot of really ambitious ideas for what they wanted to do with themselves. Then they graduated high school, got a job that paid their rent and called it a day. Yeah. And I was legitimately terrified of becoming that person. And so I did everything I could to keep myself uh, creatively hungry while not necessarily physically hungry. <laughs> um, and so that meant making sure that I didn't stay in any place uh, too long unless it was serving kind of the long term goals. Um, and so I was picking up gigs here and there. And then I did a stint working as an office manager at one of the film unions and like just picking up odd jobs here and there. Um, and then uh, finally got a gig that I did think was going to serve uh, the greater good and uh, was an assistant at a production company. And I thought, oh, OK, this is somewhere I can stay for a while. This is somewhere I can learn a lot about the operation of the business and stuff like that. OK, what was that like? Did it last very long? Uh, overall, I was at that company for five years. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, when I went to my interview, uh, they, the, the producer, the owner of the company, cheekily said that the job was kind of like drinking out of a fire hose. <laughs> and I thought that, was, that sounded very attractive to me at the time because it felt like, oh, you're going to get a lot of responsibilities. You're going to have to keep a lot of plates spinning. Um, you're going to be learning a lot and stuff like that. Mostly what it meant, uh, in reality was you don't need to drink from a fire hose. That is not an effective way to do things. Uh, but it is certainly a choice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so it was a very stressful job. Uh, I did learn a lot. Um, I ended up with a lot of opportunities, uh, as a result of working there, mostly, uh, self-initiated um, after three years of being an assistant there uh, there was an opportunity to step up and I became the in-house uh, producer for all of the TV commercials the company was producing which was great um, and the entire time I was doing uh, the assisting the entire time I was doing 
uh, the producing, I was writing all the time. Okay. Uh, building up samples, writing scripts. I was going out to industry socials, making sure that I was a person that people knew, um, building contacts, making friends, all that kind of stuff. And I got to a point about two years into producing the commercials where I had to pause. And I was like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Yeah. Before I stop because before I stop being a writer that is producing TV commercials to keep a roof over her head, and I become a TV commercial producer who writes in her free time. Mm, okay. And just that question terrified me enough that I quit. Um, I quit without a plan, like without work lined up. I quit without a ton of money saved. Uh, but I was just like, I need to bet on myself. And I need to do it now because I need to know if this is going to work. Mm. And if it's going to work, it needs to work now. Um, and so I kind of jumped off the cliff and decided I would build the airplane on the way down. Nice. <laughs> Are you sure it was going to be an airplane? Is it... <laughs> that was what I was hoping for, yeah. at least. <laughs> I want to I want to you just mentioned essentially networking and how important it was to you as you were you know, kind of making your way through there. Can we take a second and have you kind of talk to us about how you approach networking? Like, how did you make connections with people? How did you kind of build that, you know, that network of people that would ultimately help you down the road? Uh, two, kind of, I, ha I had like a twofold approach to it. Um, one was run into people during at socials, whether or not it was like a party at a film festival or um, just a, a month, like there are monthly socials you can go to. Uh, in Toronto, or at least you could before the world ended. Um, uh, there were uh, really a couple of really great uh, Facebook groups uh, for writers emerging and established to talk about craft and business and stuff like that. Um, so that kind of stuff. And then also, uh, you might laugh when you hear this, but Twitter, um, especially the Canadian film and television industry, is very intimate it's very small everybody kind of knows everybody and so i just curated a list of people that i was following that were making work that i respected or like just doing interesting things or whatever um and i would just correspond to them when it made sense when it was appropriate if they had if they were right if they, if they were commenting on whatever the the premiere of this new show that's that went up and they really liked it and i really liked it i'd be like oh yeah that was really cool i liked whatever like it's really interesting and just not like forcing my way into conversations but finding natural natural points to converse with people yeah and that was kind of the same principle during the in-person social events as well like a lot of times you don't know what other people look like so you don't know who you're about to talk to um so I would just talk to people and find out who they are and be like, you know, oh, cool, whatever. And like, I would never I would never like ask for business cards or like I would never be like, will you read my shit or anything like that? Like I was just there to meet people, to befriend people. Um, it wasn't really like a conscious like like I I'm there to I'm there to get a, get something out of it. It wasn't right. really that it was just like. I want to know people. I want to be able to like 
ask people out to coffee and like maybe get some advice and stuff like that and like i need to know these people to ask them these questions and stuff and then like a lot of it was also like making friends with people who were also emerging who like had similar sensibilities or just liked the same sorts of things who we got along really well and stuff um but it was very much like casual very like low key like very like just let it happen naturally it wasn't about kind of like being really mercenary of like ooh, i know that person is a showrunner and they've got a show coming up or like i I wasn't like honing in on people that i thought i could get something out of yeah that's great that's that's my philosophy almost perfectly i the second the second you go to someone and they can tell you want something it has a very different feel right like it's it's now definitely like it puts them on guard. It, it it totally removes any opportunity to just like make a connection. And that's always still be like, I just want to make connections with people. I have no agenda at some point. I hope that, you know, it'll get to a point where we can help each other with something. Right. But that just means we've now connected yeah. on a level where we want to help each other. So, you know, definitely. Yeah. And I think the one thing, like, I think the one thing, not enough, emerging professionals writer or otherwise don't appreciate enough is that consciously or otherwise you are always networking yeah like literally every time you are in a public space or you speak you're speaking publicly in any way whether that's your tweets your public facebook posts your correspondence in a facebook group you are networking whether you know it or not because other people are paying attention to how you conduct yourself what you say out loud where you stand on things how your philosophy fits in with what their opinion of things is like you are constantly always being observed when you do those things and that's i don't i don't say that to be intimidating of like be on your best behavior or anything like that i mean that to mean you're always you're always uh, drawing people to you. You're always drawing people of like mind to your orbit. Yeah. And they, it's very easy to make friends and to find those connections if you are not afraid of kind of just being yourself. Yeah. Right? A lot of people feel like in order to uh, build themselves up or to uh, network and stuff, they have to be careful about what they... Uh, expose about themselves or they have to be like guarded mm -hmm. but i actually find that the truth is the complete opposite the more you're willing to be vulnerable with people and be honest and show them your true self and who you really are that's when people really start to connect to you on a personal level and that's that's when people want to work with you that's when people are like you know what actually i just heard about this thing let me see if I can find out the details because I think you might be a good fit for it. Yeah. Because the I think you might be a good fit for it comes from what they know about you. Yep. And if you're constantly just like buttoned up and like, I am a professional, I, I am a, I am a, a typing robot, right? Like nobody's going to know you. You yeah. need people to know you, not just to know you exist, but to know you as a person. Man, that is so true. And, uh, and the, you, if you are portraying yourself in a way that is not you, the connections that you're going to make are not the ones you want, right? Like there's, Absolutely. you're going to now, you're, you're probably going to end up not quite seeing eye to eye with someone or whenever people find, you know, whenever you start to realize who each of you really are, 
now all of a sudden you're like, oh, this actually isn't someone that that I care to really connect with. And that's yeah. you're right. Like being yourself in any platform, especially when you're you're well, you're do, like you said, you're doing it all the time. But I, I agree with you. Being yourself is super important. That's the only person I know how to be, so I'm lucky in that regard. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because a lot of people try to put on, like you said, put on that tie, and you know, like they're this is the persona that I'm that I'm putting out there, and it's fine if that's who you want to be, you know, publicly. But it's going to really impact those kind of connections that we're talking about. Yeah. So so you have just at this point in the story taken a huge leap, right? And this is something that, that I personally would have a very hard time with. Like I am someone, I'm a planner. I'm someone that, that needs to know where my next check is coming from, you know, like sure. to just leave a job because I don't like the job is, is it would be a very difficult thing for me. I, I would need almost need to have something at least in the works, you know? So what was that like <laughs> jumping out without a parachute? <laughs> It was terrifying, uh, genuinely, uh, but I knew that I had to do it. Um, and then I was very fortunate because I had a big public show of like, I quit. I'm available. We're we're moving on to the next phase. Okay. Um, and so it was uh, I it was in August when I, or it was like late August, early September when I quit. And before the end of October, I was in my first TV room. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Because <laughs> of everything that we just talked about. Um, I made a big show of the fact that I had quit and that I was ready for the next thing. And then a showrunner who that I had known for years at that point and got along really well with. And we always like had a drink when we'd see each other at socials and catch up. And like we got along really well. She was like. I'm so glad that you're available because I just got I just got signed for a three week development room for this new show that I'm doing. I would love to have you in the room. And I was like, fuck, yes, that is um, amazing. <laughs> and again, it comes from that. She it, it was twofold. It was she knew that I was a hard worker. She knew that I conducted myself in a way that would not embarrass her right. from her <laughs> encounters with me over the course of several years. But also because she knew me, she knew that the show would be up my alley. She was like, I think you would really gel with this. She pitched it to me and I was like glowing the whole time she was talking. Uh, and she was like, sick. Okay, let's do this. Oh, um, I love it. And so I was like, I was so excited because I was like, oh my God, like it worked. Like, Within two months, basically, like I was in a room, but it was only a three week room It was a development room, which is basically kind of like a soft launch for a show that a network is considering picking up, but wants to get some more material from you. This is often when like the Bible will get fleshed out and when you might get a script or two written so that they can get a better sense of what the entire show is going to be. OK. Um, and then in my time there, uh, it was only three weeks. But three weeks is enough time to make an impression. And I did uh, because I was not shy in the room. I was very fortunate in that that showrunner was like, uh, you're going to be the junior in the room, but I don't want you to get in your head about that. You are in this room because I respect your craft. I respect who you are as a writer. And I think you have things to contribute. If you have something to say, 
say it. Don't hold yourself back because you're afraid of stepping on toes or like you are just another writer in the room. Don't worry about the hierarchy. We're all here to try to make the best show possible. And so I was like, okay. And I took that to heart. And so I just, I would pitch ideas. I would bounce things off of other people's ideas. I just treated myself like another writer in the room. And one of the other writers took notice of that. And I impressed her. And she was like, do you have an agent yet? And I said, no. And she was like, I'd like to introduce you to mine. I think you two would get along. So after that opportunity was over, I started talking to her agent, who then put me up for another development room like four months later. So that room wrapped up just kind of before Christmas. And then I was kind of sitting on my hands from January to March. And then in March, I got another three-week room through this agent. And then after that, uh, through weird set of circumstances, it kind of didn't work out with that agent. Uh, she was really slow in reading material. And I found that to be very frustrating because even though <laughs> she had helped me get this other gig, she still hadn't officially signed me as a client yet. What? Um, despite me having sent her my material in January. Oh, wow. So she had had my material for three months and hadn't read it yet. Uh, or hadn't read all of it yet. I had sent her three things. She had read one. And that was what convinced her to put me up for this other thing. But she still hadn't signed me yet. And I was talking to a friend about this and how frustrating it was. And he was like, oh, I didn't realize you were looking for an agent. Do you want me to send your stuff into my office? Because he was an agent who represented editors and directors of photography and stuff like that but the agency that he worked with represented everything writers directors all sorts of stuff and he was like i can't i'm making zero promises all i can say is that i will put your work on my boss's desk it's up to her to a read it to b like it c to talk to you about it and i was like sure at the very least that might light a fire under the other agent's ass um and then it didn't and I ended up signing with the other agent <laughs> um, because uh, I sent my friend the material uh, on, a th on a Tuesday. By Thursday, their assistant had called to set up a meeting for the following Tuesday. And then a week from then, I was signed. Nice. I was like, that's the speed I want to move at. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> I want to ask, I wanna ask um, you about something that you mentioned briefly. Uh, sure. You said Bible and I, so I'm assuming what you mean is like, we, we have a game Bible anytime we work on a game, right. Which is essentially like, here's the rules of the world, right? Like here's, here's the yep. things that, and it sounds like, and I've never heard this in from someone who who's talking about film. I've only heard about the script, right. Or, you know, the things that people are working directly on. So there do, do TV shows and movies tend to have a Bible as well that helps people understand the state of the world. The TV shows always. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's cool. the the world, the characters, the tone and atmosphere. It's very similar to a game Bible. Okay, uh, which I know now. Um, it's it's basically the blueprint that so that everybody's kind of on the same page. We all know what we're making, um, and that'll that can be down like it can get really nitty gritty to like stylistic aesthetic references, tonal references of like you know, oh, it's kind of this vibe, but like, it looks like this. So that one, that's what the unique marriage is, that kind of stuff. Um, page long bios about your character, 
uh sample storylines you'll find a lot of time in there so like in like a, an early game bible you can have like quest examples of like oh we think our side quests look kind of like this that kind of thing it's it's very 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 similar between the two i've noticed interesting all right i have two questions about it who contributes to the creation of it and who actually reads it like tradition like like across your experience sure uh as far as like actual written word Mm -hmm. the showrunner exclusively writes it okay um if you are in a if you're in a development room some of the ideas that get thrown around might end up in it but it is the showrunner's job to create that document um as far as who reads it it's mostly uh for the network and the studios like any of the execs um and then the writing team will often read it as well so that they can all get on the same page uh in terms of like you know because like when you come into like the first day of a room you don't want to have to then explain the show to everybody you want everybody coming in with kind of a base level of knowledge okay um and so that's kind of usually like that you'll get that part of your homework uh once you get hired before the room actually starts you'll get the bible and maybe the pilot script if that's written that kind of thing okay um and sometimes department heads will read it but more often than not it's a conversation with the showrunner does the same trick okay so it's not something you expect like the talent to read or the people in the production side of things it's more of like hey this is what we use to create the scripts of the things that we're we're doing okay interesting this this conversation has has helped me realize that all of the people that I know in film and in TV and in that area, our conversations have all been on the let, how do we create the thing that's been decided, not what's that creative oh, process. Right, yeah. So I don't have I re, I'm realizing now I don't have much insight into like the creative process behind you know getting a script together. And I feel like I need that. Yeah, it's definitely not <laughs> one of the more publicized aspects of things interesting i want the noodle on that a little bit now i've got some friends i need to reach out to and ask them some more specific questions later but <laughs> and and you'll be one of them but uh <laughs> all right so so you're on this thing what what is this kind of like what happens next so you're in these like three week you know you're you're doing you're in in this process does that what does that develop into so that ultimately turns into a series of what they call general meetings So I sign on with this new agent and basically the next step in the relationship is that they will kind of trot you out to the different production companies and studios and stuff like that to be like, here's our new writer. Isn't she cool? And they'll send along like your writing samples so they know what you're up to and what you're about. And then basically you just go and it's relationship building. It's it's not we have a job for you specifically. It's just let's learn about each other Mm. so that if something comes up later, we know, oh, maybe you can, you wrote a new script. Maybe we're a good home for it. Or, oh, we have a new show. Maybe you'd be good on staff for it. It's that kind. It's kind of a two-way street. You're both interviewing each other. Okay. Um, and so I did that for a few months, and that kind of closed out my year. Uh, I signed with them, and I believe it was in April. And then so I spent kind of like a few months doing the the they call it like the water bottle tour because every meeting like they just give you a bottle of water um (laughs) and so i did that and then the rest of the year was really quiet um because staffing season in television is rather cyclical 
And here in Toronto, I can't speak for anywhere else, but specifically here in Toronto, it tends to ramp up around March, April. Um, And so there wasn't a ton going on. And so I kind of finished out the year very quietly and then started the following year uh, with a gig on a show uh, that was going to be my first season. It was going to be my first like long term gig. Um, And it started really early in the year, which was unusual, but was great because I was like, on really razor thin margins at that point because it had been a while since i had anything that was steady sure um and it was not a show that i was particularly a fan of um but the team was really nice like it was a really good team they were really smart they were really savvy they wanted to do interesting things with the show um but it was also the third season of the show and they were the third showrunners oh wow uh which if any creative project, uh, if you hear that the people at the head of the team have turned over that many times, it's usually a sign that something's wrong. What? Well, uh, yeah, um, I mean, how does it get three seasons, right? Like, like how does it continue if people don't want to continue working on it? Because it was it was a hit for the stu- It was a hit for the network, Man. so people were watching it. Um, but uh, yeah, creatively, things were not in the best place so is that Um, is that a case where the people running the show had some like the showrunner is ultimately the creative vision holder of the show right is that is that right and and you're saying that's the person that's turning over each year so that that that's kind of that's kind of mind-blowing to me because you'd think that like the I, i can see a lot of scenarios where hey we did a really good job on this but we really felt like we were hamstringed we didn't like you know what was what we were forced to do so we didn't feel like we could put our creative vision into this so we'll move on but this sounds like the person who was in charge was a part of that so was it just that the ip itself was something that wasn't super interesting to work on i can't speak for the first two seasons because i don't know what the stories were there sure but if they were anything like the year that i was on there (laughs) oh buddy (laughs) Um, we got saddled with an exec who was meant to be the liaison between production, uh, and the studio. Uh, and she was a lunatic. Oh man. Okay. Uh, she was power hungry. She misunderstood the dynamics of her role. She was constantly, uh, going over the showrunners heads. Um, she was, uh just very uh she interfered a lot um she was ultimately the reason why those showrunners quit before the season was even up oh wow okay um and then because the showrunners had hired me they fired me too (laughs) and then a week later literally a week to the day from the time she fired me I got a call from the showrunner, uh, the one that had hired me that had quit. And she was like, did you hear? And I was like, hear what? What, What's going on? She's like, she got fired. Oh. Because she had finally stepped on the wrong toes. Uh. (laughs) Because around this time, the show was actually starting to go into production and be shot. And she tried to tell the director what to do. Ah. 
And this director had been with the show since the pilot. Interesting. And so that director did not take kindly to being told what to do and to having their toes stepped on and took it above her. And they were like, what the fuck are you doing? And fired her, um, which was very satisfying to hear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so many similarities between games and, and film and TV. It's, it's so interesting. Creative endeavors have, uh, especially big creative endeavors, have a lot of those similarities. The wrong yeah. person can really make your life painful and difficult it, for, for more than it they needs really to be. They really can. Yeah. Unnecessarily so. Right. Yeah. Um, but that, so the, and literally the day that they, that I got that call from the, the ex showrunner, I got a call from my agent telling me that I had gotten a job that I really desperately wanted to get. Okay. which was writing an animated horror film uh, for a studio that had just got nominated for an Emmy. Wow. Um, it was a studio is they're called Mercury Filmworks. They do Hilda for Netflix. Okay. And after season one of Hilda did so well for Netflix, uh, the, the director of that show was like, look, we've got a little bit of heat behind us. I want to do a passion project. I want to do something for myself. Like, that that we create that like it's going to be for us and i feel like now's the time to do it okay and so i ended up uh getting that job was very excited they were really fucking cool and it was a really cool project and so i spent my summer that year on my like sitting on my hands because it took forever to work out the contract details and then i spent my fall working on that and the plan was going to be in the new year we were going to go down to la we were going to start pitching it and then the world ended. <laughs> oh, so we're talking very recently then. <laughs> yep. Okay. Man, how many stories people have about the, the change in the world, you know, 18 months ago. And oh I, my I, God, yeah. <laughs> I'm really excited to hear yours. <laughs> so, so what, like, how did that, that, I mean, everything comes to a halt for a little while, right? Like everything comes yeah. to a halt. So what, what at this point are you like, what was your situation at that point? And what were you like, kind of what state were you in? A bad one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so I had, I had worked on this horror thing in the fall and it paid pretty well. So I was able to survive through like the fall and then through into the new year. But I kind of got to the point around like the end of January where I was like, okay, we like, are we going to go do the pitching? Like what's going on? Cause like, I was really starting to like run out of money mm -hmm. and I knew that like staffing season was still a few months away. So even if this thing didn't go or whatever, like I was still, I was still shit out of luck for the foreseeable future at least. Um, and they were like, we're, we're just really busy on season two of Hilda. We got to push. Um, we're hoping we'll go it. We'll hope we're hoping we'll go do the pitches in March. I was like, okay, I literally got to the point financially where I was having to pick up odd jobs on Facebook. Oh, wow. I was helping strangers move. Uh, I was doing daily, uh, work as like an office assistant at a, a theater company downtown here. I was, uh, 
doing freelance uh closed captioning transcription like just anything i could get my hands on to make sure that i could keep the lights on which felt so weird like it like you think about it like the project that i'm working on that i'm waiting to go pitch in la for was for an emmy winning animation studio right <laughs> and i keep having like i'm 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 like just barely skating by like on the just the, just by the skin of my teeth basically financially wow um those stories so are not like, uncommon really rough right like, like that? that is not an uncommon story in this industry no <laughs> um did have one silver lining at the time after things ended uh or not ended but after like the 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 current stages of the animation project had ended i was like okay i know that i'm probably gonna have some time between now and like whenever we go do these pitches um maybe maybe now is a good time to think about that game stuff again oh all right because after i'd quit after i'd quit uh the tv producing job or the the commercial producing job um first job that i applied to afterwards was an associate narrative designer position uh because it's always been in the back of my head yeah of like what about games um but because i'd spent so much time and energy on this film and television pursuit i felt terrified to even for a second look in another direction yeah because like i come from a like i come from a very blue collar family like i did not have connections to any level of entertainment industry so none of this was destined to work in any way shape or form so i was like <laughs> who am i to be unhappy over here and start looking for greener pastures i'm like i have an agent i'm working with cool companies i'm doing all these things that a lot of people work very hard and never get to accomplish. So I felt almost ungrateful, like looking anywhere else. Um, but also like, and I'm sure you know this, like when you're really built, trying to build a career, it feels like spinning plates, right? And so it's like, if I look somewhere else, one of these plates is coming down for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but I knew I had some time. I knew it wouldn't be distracting from other stuff. And I saw a post for like, uh, a, a small gig on a visual novel um and i was like you know what fuck it why not i'll just i'll just slide on my thing i'll just it's fine we'll see what happens <laughs> um and fortunately for me uh the narrative designer on that team also had come from film and television so she spoke my language and uh... also had the imagination to look at my samples and say if she can do this she can do what we're doing and so in January, they hired me and they were like, yeah, we like negotiated everything. And I was starting to work on it and stuff. I was like, this is perfect. This is like a little like six to eight month project. That's not like it's not full time. Uh, yeah. It's it's, you know, a handful of things over here and a handful of things over there. Very manageable. I was like, even when staffing season kicks in, I'll be able to do it. And then I can say I worked on a game and that'll feel really good. Yeah. And that was later daters. That was my first game project. And so I was working on that here and there while also doing all of the begging jobs that I was doing from Facebook and wherever else. 
waiting for staffing season to kick in, waiting for uh, these pitch meetings to happen that keep getting pushed. And my agent calls me. Uh, This is March of 2020. 20 yeah <laughs> what is time i lose track is too. that right no but yeah it, it yeah 2019 oh 20 what wait no oh my god 2022 right? around the corner right <laughs> oh i don't like that uh, i know uh, <laughs> yeah march of 2020 is when the world ended march, so. of 2020. <laughs> march of 2020 um and my agent calls me and she goes hey uh do you want to talk to holly hobby holly hobby is uh a ya show uh on hulu we're back. My camera's not working. So we're going to let, I'm going to figure that out while Ashley is telling us her story. <laughs> Sorry, guys. My computer <laughs> crashed and that sucks. All right. We're back, baby. We're back. You're back. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm kind of back. All right. So tell us, or continue telling us, I guess, what, uh, so you were saying, you were on visual novel at this point. Yes. So my agent calls me. She says, do you want to talk to Holly Hobby? They liked your sample, whatever. And at this point, I'm working on a visual novel that is not taking up a ton of my time and therefore not paying me tremendously well as a result. Like I'm being paid fairly, but because it's not a lot of work, It's not enough to pay my rent or cover my bills or anything like that. I'm begging for jobs on Facebook. I'm not doing well financially is kind of the key part of this story. And Holly Hobby, for context, is a YA show for like tweens uh, about a little blonde girl who plays guitar uh, and whatever the power of friendship. Who knows? Uh, (laughs) And I was like, yeah, no. Like, I had so little interest in this show that I would rather keep begging for work on Facebook than to have taken the interview. Yeah. Um, because I was not interested in that other show that I did and chose to do it because, well, I needed work, right? Like, I needed to, I needed to be working. I needed to whatever the fuck, right? Um, but I didn't work this hard to build a career i didn't work this hard to become a working professional writer just to take jobs because i need to right like i left a job being very comfortably paid producing tv commercials if i was just worried about making sure my rent was paid i was fine there but that's not what my priority was that's not where my focus is i want to be satisfied in the work that i do i want to be looking i want to look forward to what i'm doing when i sit down at my desk or when i go into the office in the morning or whatever the situation is um and so i was just like no that's i don't think i have anything that i can offer them uh i'm gonna pass and she was like okay cool uh you know the season's just getting started so we'll let you know about whatever else comes up and then nothing else came up because bam literally the following week uh, Toronto went into its or Ontario, Canada, whatever the whole world went into its first lockdown. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, well, now I don't feel bad about turning that down because the show didn't end up going anyway. <laughs> uh, and so like film shut down, television shut down. Well, I mean, you were there fucking everything shuts down, right? Everything. Um, <laughs> the world grinds to a halt. And I had this moment where I was like, wait a second. 
The mods are asleep. <laughs> Nobody's watching me spin these plates anymore. Right. And so I saw this moment of opportunity and I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time to build another airplane. Yeah. Because there was nothing happening. I didn't have to worry about disappointing anybody. I didn't have to. I wasn't. These plates weren't spinning anymore. Right. Like they were frozen in time. Nothing was happening. And I was like, I've got this visual novel credit. It's going well. They like my work. Maybe let's see what we can do with it. And so I just started applying to stuff. Um, I, you know, I was using Twitter to hunt down leads. Uh, there was a fa there's a f game writers Facebook group that I was that I'm in that I was using to hunt down leads. Uh, like LinkedIn, just everywhere. I was looking everywhere, and I was applying to everything. Um, and I was just like. We'll see what happens. And if none of it happens, it kind of happened while the lights are, were off, right? Like if this fails, it never happened. Nobody has to know that I was doing it, right? Um, and so I just was applying to a bunch of stuff and then like started picking up some, some momentum. I got a gig here and there and started picking stuff up. And I was like, hey, this is actually working. Um, and then I kind of got to a point where that was kind of like the predominant source of work that I was doing. It was like I was just mostly working on game stuff and there was like a web series thing here or whatever there. But I was before very long, I was like, oh, my God, like I'm just I'm writing games now. <laughs> like it was awesome. It just kind of worked. Like, <laughs> That's <shockingly>. the dream. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I want to. So it's. The thing that I like most about this is that your dream was the thing that you just kind of ended up at one point that just kind of ended up being the thing that you were doing most of. And for, and for people that don't understand, you know, film and television, you know, all that stuff is, is on cycles, right? It's short-term contracts generally where you're doing a thing you don't know necessarily where your next work is coming from. And so like you, like, and a lot of my friends that are in that industry, they're like, you know, I, I kind of know what my next few months looks like. And I, I have to hope that, that, you know, something is going to come up after that. So games can be much different in that way. Like we tend to be more of a, you know, like people take regular jobs and they, you know, it's like a full-time type thing, but you at this point, it, you were taking an approach very similar to the way that it, that it is in film and TV, which is, you know, contract stuff, you know, like put your expertise here take a contract there. So what was, what was that early part of this like for you? Did it, it felt natural? I assume because that's what you were in or like, like, what was that? Like, how did you, how did it feel as you kind of moved into like, Oh, now I'm doing games. It, it made a lot of sense to me because it was predominantly contract work. It was, oh, uh, this, like, indie studio needed somebody to help them write the Bible for this RPG they were working on, and they needed somebody who understood character and stuff like that to, like, help them build out the world and the, the player character and stuff like that. And so I would do that. And then another team was like, hey, we need somebody to write barks for this sci-fi sports game that we're doing. So I would go and do that. And it was kind of like I would have my hands in a bunch of different pies, but it was really fun because like when I was working in film and television, 
I felt like every victory was the result of me clawing and scratching and biting my way into it. Dis mm -hmm. Like almost despite the industry not wanting me to have it. Yeah. And I found when I started applying to game stuff, the attitude very much felt like, oh, you're good at this. You should do it for us. And it felt like a much more welcoming environment where my work was appreciated and respected um, and not kind of like, well, you're lucky to be here, which uh, is kind of what a lot of film and television sort of feels like. Yep. Um, and it was great because I was, I basically, I got the, I was working on later daters and then just decided to start applying for stuff. And within a couple months, got a gig with Game Pill, which is a an indie studio out just outside of Toronto, doing this Bible for their for their RPG, and that was really cool because that was drawing on a bunch of stuff that I'd already done before because I'd helped write Bibles and stuff like that for projects on the film or on the television side of things, and I'd written like pitch documents and stuff like that for my own stuff, um, so it was very familiar shape. Uh, and then they really liked that. And they were like, hey, we've got this sci-fi sports thing. Do you want to do some barks for that? And basically in those early days, what I really wanted to do was a breadth of things. Because like when you're working in film, when you're working in television, you write scripts. That's what you do. You write scripts. That's the only thing that really needs to be written is scripts. In games, there's barks, there's collectibles, there's uh you know uh character names there's character descriptions there's codex entries there's cutscenes there's ambient dialogue there's so many different yeah. types of writing that need to be done in games and i was like look i've got scripts so like i've got the equivalent of cutscenes down that's fine i was like but i want to try to get as many other types of writing under my belt as possible so when i start looking for full-time work they can look at my CV and go, okay, she's not a new writer. She's just newer to games, mm -hmm. but she's already collected this, that, and the other type of writing. So we know that she's covered. She's She's got experience in a bunch of those different areas. So we can trust her to take our thing. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of curate, almost curated the jobs that I was applying for to help do that, to fill out kind of the blank spots on the map, so to speak. Um, and picked up momentum relatively quickly over the course of that summer. And then as that summer was starting to come to a close, landed a more long-term gig on another visual novel, uh, a cyberpunk, futuristic, political visual novel called Solace State, which had just won the Ubisoft indie series that year. Nice. And they were looking for a writer to uh, help them because they were just starting to go from kind of like, uh, like, development into like full actual production of like actually starting to write things and uh, and kind of getting into the meat and potatoes of like the story and all that kind of stuff um so then that became kind of like my main gig from uh last august to basically kind of like spring to early summer of this year okay you know, it, you mentioned a little bit about one of the things that a lot of traditional writers struggle with in games, and that's that, you know, traditional writing is, it's an A to B story, right? Like it's, 
generally a here's the start, here's the end, and here's everything in between. And, you know, it's a very, you know, linear flow. In games, yeah. we have bits of that, right? Like we have the main arc, right? We have the things that kind of tell that main story. We have side stories that kind of follow that. But the biggest thing that that I find people struggling with is, you know, it, it's harder to change the frame of mind to the player is now in control, right? Like it's an immersive experience where they are yeah. the ones who's dictating when they hear the things that you want to tell them. Right. And, and especially like in an open world game, which I work a lot on, there's a whole lot of like, we need the, the world, they need to have dialogue around that helps them understand the state of the world or what's currently happening. And it needs to be in a way that you can't guarantee they're even going to hear it. Right. Like that's, that is a very, very different way to think about creating written content. Definitely. A lot of people get frustrated with that too. I've worked with some traditional writers that, that would quite literally get angry when they, when they couldn't quite understand how to tell the story they wanted to tell. And a lot of it was like me working with them. Like, listen, we've got to do this a different way. We've got to figure out how to get what your vision is into an interactive experience that you can't control. You've got to, take you no longer control right and that's that's hard to deal with when you're used to doing it that way yeah it's actually it's really interesting you bring that up because another gig that i picked up kind of earlier this year while i was working on solid state is that i became one of the writers on the upcoming mobile game for rupaul's drag race mm. um and it is it's predominantly a uh fashion game but there's story interspersed in between. And we had uh, a, a relatively small team of writers who were working on that. And one of them, for one of them, it was their first game project. And uh, the way that story is being delivered in that game is they're kind of visual novel-esque story sequences where you basically get two characters on the screen and then the dialogue pops up at the bottom. They're very much like paper doll style static characters no like no emotes no animations very straightforward very simple uh presentation and this writer couldn't wrap their head around the presentation and limitations of the way that story was being delivered in this game and so they wrote whole scenes Ah. they wrote like this drag queen gets mad at that drag queen and throws something across the room and like all kinds of stuff that we did not have the capability of of showcasing or implementing or communicating in any way, shape, or form. Um, and so, like, we had to rewrite them. Yeah. Um, because they didn't, they just didn't, it wasn't clicking. Um, and so, like, you you do have to understand not just, like, A, it's a game, but, like, what, what kind of game yeah because the the way that you write like for example like for an open world game is going to be very different than the way you write for a mobile game or a visual novel or uh, an action game or a sports game like they all have their own kind of flavors like you have to be good like there there's a certain set of you know common skills across all of them but they are all very much their own thing right like it's like writing a social media post. It's like, you can go on forever in Facebook, but you're limited in Twitter. Yeah. Right. Like you need to be able, you need to know what your limitations are and how to work to best execute for the, the platform you're working with. And that's the same with types of types of genre of game that you're working on. Yeah, man. It's a, uh, 
you know, we have most games or not most games, the games that have cinematics tend to have work with that same flow, right? So traditional writers tend to be comfortable in the like, oh, here's the cinematic. I can write out the script for that thing. It's essentially a mini movie that we're putting in there, right? So there, there are those moments in a lot of games, especially that I've worked on where we have those, those things. But a lot of times when we see those scripts, I'm like, listen, this is first of all going to be a super long cinematic. Let's, let's take these bits out of that because these are things that we can kind of tell as dialogue along the way, or, you know, like we can bookend a mission with one, you know, start it with a cinematic, end it with a cinematic. And then along the way, let's talk about like the story beats. We need to make sure the player understands. It's just a completely different way to think about it. Definitely. So, so, so you're now at the point where you are in games, right? Like you're, this is the thing that you're, you're mostly doing. Do yeah. you, do you miss the film side of things? Do you feel like you'll, you'll try and do a little bit more of that in the future? Are you fully embracing games and trying to make that kind of your, your main thing? What kind of, where are you at mentally with that? I don't know if I'm ever going back. Yeah. I mean, games are <laughs> yeah, better. We'll all agree have, with that, but <laughs> I have never, I've never been busier. I've never been more creatively fulfilled. Like, uh, I just like, I can, I, the number of the number of film and television projects that I took on that I was genuinely excited about, very low percentage. The number of projects that I've taken on in games that I'm very excited about, much higher. Yeah. Um, and like I'm just wrapping up a contract working on Batman. Like I love it. <laughs> act like I'm not, I'm not getting those opportunities in film and television, man. Like, right. <laughs> that, that is a really, really good point. Uh, in games, I, it, it is a bit easier. Is that the right word? It's more accessible to do really, to have an impact on really cool stuff than it yeah. is yeah, in yeah, film. Yeah. Right. And in TV, because there's, there's less opportunities. There's, you know, there's a lot more, uh, there, there's a lot more positions on games for writing than there is in film essentially as well. Right. Like as far as like, we need big teams to, to do big games. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and so like, yeah, I've just, I, I really genuinely would be surprised if I went back. That's interesting. Never say never, right? Like you might get an no, opportunity to do never, something there that, that you would. I, yeah. In in the in the the circumstance that I'm in now, it seems unlikely. Yeah. That's what I'll say. I get that. And 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 that's uh I love that the place you're in now is the place you wanted to be when you were young and had no idea how to get there because I totally relate to that. And then now that you're there, you're like, I ain't going back. Like I, <laughs> I'm going to keep doing the thing I always wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like I, I it took me this long to figure out how to do it and you expect me to leave right <laughs> you fucked up you let me in the door i'm never leaving <laughs> right you have me now like it's just get used to it <laughs> so we, we had a question in the chat have you worked on anything that was adapted from from a book or film like something that was you know a major adaption into something that you worked on i've actually done a lot of work in adaptation um when I was first getting started, I somehow convinced 
uh, a comic book writer to let me option the rights to adapt his comic into a television series. Interesting. Um, I it's uh, reincarnate. It was published by Heavy Metal. Uh, this really fucking cool book about uh, a private investigator who gains the ability to interact with versions of himself from past lives. What? Um, and so he uses their unique skills and experience to help him solve cases. Huh. Um, and it's fucking great. I fell in love with it. Somehow convinced the writer to give me the rights. Um, got it optioned by a production company. Got to work with David Hayter, uh, who's the guy that wrote the first two X-Men movies. He's also the voice of Solid Snake. A bunch of other things. Oh, wow. Uh, he was in, he was attached as an executive producer. I got to go down to L.A. and work with him, uh, reshaping the Bible and, and working on the pilot together and stuff like that. That was an incredible experience. Um, and then uh, a few years after that, uh, I optioned the rights to another comic. Uh, I wrote that as a feature a uh, feature film that didn't end up unfortunately going anywhere, but was a great experience yet. Um, and then uh, <laughs> did some like adaptations of like true life stories uh, that did like, again, kind of like I I've worked on a lot of stuff that just kind of like languishes in development. Like that's a very common thing that not a lot of people talk about. Like a lot of working writers are like they've paid their rent for years on stuff that will never see the light of day because so much more stuff that gets developed than gets shot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and unfortunately I've been a part of several of those. Um, it's super common. And then, like, super and common. Now I'm working on Gotham Knights, which is an adaptation of court of owls, uh, the right. Batman comic and, uh, working on RuPaul's Drag Race Superstar, which is an adaptation of that show. Like I've done a lot of work in adaptation and and working on pre-established properties. Okay, nice. All right, I want to take a quick break and ask you some questions about you. And these these are some things that I like to ask people on the stream. You ready for this? I got a few questions. Let's do it. Right, the first one is: What is your favorite game of all time, and why? Silent Hill 2. Okay. Wait, which platform was that one on? Was that PlayStation? It launched on PS2, and then there was PS2. an Xbox port called Restless Dreams. Okay. And, and why is that I your favorite game? I played it for the first time on Xbox. Okay. Um, one of my best friends lived across the street at the time and lived with his grandmother, who had taken ill for a little while, and she couldn't look after him, so he came to live with us. And he crashed in my bedroom and <laughs> we basically would go to school together, come home and then play uh, Xbox uh, together. But at the time, he only owned two games. He owned Silent Hill 2 and Tony Hawk 2X, okay. which was like a repackaging of the first two games with some like extra content and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so we would spend our our days on the weekend playing Tony Hawk. And then when the sun went down, we would play Silent Hill 2. <laughs> nice and silent hill 2 is not a multiplayer game (laughs) as i'm sure you are aware right but silent hill 2 became a multiplayer game (laughs) one of us would play until we were too scared to turn the next corner and then we would throw the controller at the other person and make them do it (laughs) i love it that is actually my favorite form of co-op like like sitting on a couch with someone one of us has the controller doesn't matter who has it we're experiencing this together i love that so much yeah 
it was a lot of fun. It was great. But what really sticks with me about that game is it not only is it terrifying, but every element of that game is working in service of its story and in service of its themes. Yeah. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot. No, I don't I don't want to say a lot. I don't want to be diminutive of other stuff. But there is uh, there's a, a habit in certain other horror games where it's just let's just throw some cool looking monsters at the player that will scare them. Right. And Silent Hill 2 was very much what do these monsters mean to the psychology yeah. of the main character? And they're all tied into what that character is going through. They all represent a part of his psyche. It's all tied into each other in a really intricate way. And they're exceptionally well-designed and simple, uh, simple designs, like really iconic. And it's one of the things that I think latter uh, entries in the series kind of missed um because a lot of them started repurposing stuff that became iconic in the second game and then so it started just being about a character that was in silent hill rather than silent hill being a place that wraps itself around the protagonist yeah um and so i just i feel like it's a really like just holistically focused game in a way that you don't see a ton of in kind of that era of horror games and horror games in general are my favorite genre. Mm -hmm. So like then like, so horror games are my favorite genre and then silent Hill kind of stands on top of all of them okay. a little bit. Did you play PT? Yes, I did. Okay. That's a, that was, that's a, uh, to me, a super cool experience and an example of like what you can do with a little amount of space to really oh mess God, with people yeah. in games. Uh, yeah. I played that on stream and there, there are some moments where I, I had to change my shorts. So, I, you know, there's a, <laughs> but, but it, it's interesting to me to hear like when people appreciate certain types of games or a particular game, like hearing, um, like why and for you it's 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 a very narrative thing right like and I, and I love hearing like what you're passionate about is is why a particular game resonates with you and I think that's a big part of like whenever someone tells me like what's a game you love I love to hear why because like he, you learn a lot about someone when Definitely. you hear why they love a game right yeah love that all right you ready for next question let's do it when or have you felt like you first made it in your career? I have kind of a two-part answer to this. Um, the, the direct answer to the question, when did I feel like I made it, was the day they hired me for Gotham Knights. Okay. Um, I was like, because I very quietly, like, and by quietly, I did not tell anybody, uh, made a goal for myself at the beginning of this year that I wanted to get some experience on a AAA game. Mm -hmm. And I had no way, obviously I had no way of making that happen. That was not within my control. But because I had done so well the previous year, picking things up, I was like, this is, I want this to be the year where I get to work on something AAA. I want to get that under my belt. And so accomplishing that and making it Gotham Knights, working on characters that I've loved my entire life, was like oh fuck yeah okay yeah like was very <laughs> very exciting um but the other part to that is i had a moment last year where i knew it was going to work 
where I knew I was on the right path, when I knew, okay, it's just a matter of making sure I keep working hard and don't let myself get defeated, yeah. basically. Which was after I decided, uh, after everything shut down and I decided I was going to give this an honest go, I started applying to a bunch of things and I got an interview with Respawn for a job on Apex Legends. Oh, I didn't know about this. I interviewed right. with them. It went really well. I didn't move on. I only had the one interview with them. I didn't get the job or anything like that. But I was like, the fact that they want to talk to me at this point in my career tells me that this is going to work. Nice. If I just keep working really hard and set small manageable milestones for myself and keep building my experience and my resume, this is going to work. It's just a matter of making sure that I stick with it and keep disciplined. I love it. And then this year I got Gotham Knights and I was like, bam, there it is. So you knew, I love that. Like that's, that's great. And, and, and there, there's a bit of like the, these industries are so weird in, in that we never know what's going to become an opportunity. We never know any, any of that stuff, right? Like we never know what the future holds, but the Definitely. second, the second you knew that you were up for something that you cared about and that was a good trajectory for you, that's when you felt good. And I love that because that's, it's about opportunities being available to you. Right. I love that. All right. You ready for the next one? Heck yeah. What advice would you give to someone who's looking for their first job in games? Start small. Um, I feel like a big mistake. A lot of writers, no matter what their medium is, I think a big mistake that a lot of them make is that they think their career is a rocket ship and they need to light the fuse and go. Mm. But the truth of the matter is more that they're building the rocket ship and that takes a lot more time. Yeah. It's more you're building the rocket ship, which means you need a blueprint. You need a plan. You need to do, you know, you, you need to build up to something so that you can then launch the rocket. Right. Um, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, I want to write. This is my magnum opus script. And now I need to go sell it to Warner Brothers or Universal or whoever and then turn it into a big summer blockbuster or whatever right and it's like okay first of all chill <laughs> right <laughs> uh, uh and second of all like maybe scale it back a little bit right um yeah. so if, if you're if you're a writer and you're like i want to work in games i don't know where to start i would say start small you're not gonna there's always this catch-22 of like I need experience to get experience and that kind of thing. Right. Cause it's like, what do I do? Like nobody's hired me to do it. How do I do it? Um, and it's like, there are, there are a lot of ways you can, you can self initiate work, right? You can write a twine game, which is very simple and like heavily text-based. It's basically a, a visual novel without the visual part, unless you find a way to do that. You know, it's, it's very text-based, choose your own adventure style narrative which at the very least demonstrates that you understand nonlinear storytelling. Yeah. Um, there's also, you can also just, you can write things for your portfolio based on prompts and then just write like a paragraph or two about the context of the prompt. So that, you know, like 
say say i didn't get that job writing barks on the sci-fi sports game but i'm like i want to put barks in because i know that's a great opportunity like that's something that they get juniors to do a lot so i need to show that i can do that make something up yeah right right this is the following is a series of barks uh for x kind of game in this genre uh with this style and tone and then come up with a bunch of different types of context for what those barks could be and write five versions of them each so that they could because ultimately what they want to know what they want to know is that you're capable of tell delivering information in multiple ways that still get the same message across right and so you can just you can prove that you're capable of that it doesn't have to actually then get put into a game somewhere um so just some some discipline to actually put some stuff down on paper uh metaphorically speaking uh yeah. to put stuff down on paper so that you actually have stuff to show off in a portfolio yep. um and like start small start looking for you know small indie teams that are looking for help or you know uh game jam projects one of the yes. one of the first things i ever worked on was a game jam over the course of a weekend and it was like there wasn't a ton of writing to do for it but it got me onto a team talking about what were the story needs, what were the narrative needs yes. of that game. And it just got me thinking in that realm, in that world. And like that, for me, that project never ended up on a CV, but like that stuff, you can totally put that stuff on a CV. Absolutely. Especially if it got finished in public, like not published by like, I like picked up, but like if it's available online somewhere and you can show people screenshots of it or like they can play it on itch or something like that, like yeah. that counts. Like yeah, it's interesting to have necessarily like big published work for to, to qualify for stuff. Absolutely. Um, and I would also say write short films. Um, like anything like what one of the things in my portfolio that I still submit is a seven page screenplay sample. It's the the first act of a TV pilot that I wrote, because um, the one thing that you really need to keep in mind is that uh, the people hiring usually, as a rule of thumb, will give two to three minutes to read material in total. Yeah. So if you're attaching a 60-page script, they're never going to read that shit. Yeah. If you send them a seven-page sample and then some barks and then some sample codex entries or something, and they can get through that in a couple minutes comfortably without having a speed read or whatever, like then you're in a much better place. It also shows that you respect their time because every job that you ever apply for is going to be very oversubscribed to yeah. a bun- like you're going to be you're going to have to beat out dozens of other people uh, in order to get that interview. And then you're going to have to beat out maybe upwards of a dozen people to get the next interview to get hired. Yeah. Um. So make sure your portfolio is efficient and just don't don't think you have to start at halo right don't think you have to start at insomniac naughty dog santa monica levels like you can work your way up there if if you want to build a house you don't put a roof on it right you started at a foundation you've got to build a foundation um so don't be afraid to do that don't be afraid to treat it like the marathon it is you're going to be doing if you if you want a career in this you're going to be doing it for a long time set uh set manageable goals for yourself don't think that you have to leapfrog to the finish line 
I love it. There's, there's everything you said is so consistent with what I tell people across all the disciplines in the game industry. Cause like there, there's the, that I always tell people five minutes, someone will give you five minutes to look at your stuff. That's a combination of your resume, your cover letter, and anything that you give them as far as portfolio pieces. So you need to, your portfolio needs to be a shining example of what you're capable of in the shortest amount of time possible. Like, I think that's great general advice for people that are interested in this industry. Cause like, I know like when I was at Volition, I would get hundreds of resumes, right? Like hundreds of them. And it's like, I need to see something that's going to very quickly give me a sense of who you are. If there's a lot of information there. I don't, I don't have time. I've got all these other ones that I also need to look at. It's tough. Yeah. All right. I got one last question for you and I'm actually really curious how you're going to answer this one. If you were born in 1870, which means before, really before film and TV and before games, what career would you have had? I would probably either be an author or a playwright. I figured that. Now, yeah. which, which I just, but, all I've all I've ever known is is r- telling stories in one form or another. That's that's great. What like if you had to choose a very particular kind of path, like which one would it be? Like if you you know you had your dream probably choice, author. Okay. Yeah. And would that be novels or would that be like papers, new like like what would you what would you want Probably to write? Probably novels, yeah. Probably Sci- be a novelist. Like fiction or what kind yeah. of novel? All right. Would you delve into like science write fiction like and pulpy fantasy? Horror novels and pulpy sci-fi novels and okay. stuff that you Yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. That sounds interesting. Maybe you should do that anyway. I'm just saying. Like, Maybe. <laughs> it's, there's, there's, not, there's never been a better time for creating cool content that everyone has access to, right? Like, who knows? That's a fact. <laughs> All right, we got a question from the chat uh, from Hellforge asking, what does a typical day look like as a writer in the games industry? It's, uh, it's the most important parts of a modern game, but I don't think I ever hear anything about it apart from, like, GDC talks. That is a great question. Um, That's a hard one to answer because I find that the answer to that question differs largely based on the project, but also sometimes based on the day in that project. Yeah. Um, You know, I was on Solid State for quite a while, um, almost almost a year to the day uh, from front to back. And that was a very regimented kind of job where it was like, all of the writing was one type of writing. It was the, the we were writing the scenes, which included uh, like prose for the scene description and stuff like that. And then dialogue from the characters. And we would do them in two week sprints. Um, basically a sprint is a, a short period of time where you set very specific goals for all the members on the team. So basically going back to the idea of like setting small, you know, small manageable goals rather than trying to jump to the finish line that goes uh, for how you set up making the actual games as well is like right. you don't just go okay now everybody do your job and we'll have a game at the end it's like no okay for the first two weeks you're gonna work on this thing you'll work on that thing and you'll work on that thing which will set us up for the next sprint which blah 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 blah, blah. and so i would get assigned however many number of scenes for a two-week sprint and then i would just manage my time uh you know, of like, okay, well, I know that this scene is a really big one because it's 
you know, a really important plot point happens and there's also this many branching choices in it. So I know that one's going to take a lot of time. So I'm going to set apart however many days it requires. I know this one over here is really small comparatively. So maybe I'll finish my week with that. And there's a little bit of trial and error and kind of like learning as you go for like what that means. Like, like, especially like on solid state, solid state is a visual novel. Later daters was a visual novel. Later daters much lighter in tone and mm. execution than solid state was. So when I first started with them, the estimates that I would give of like, oh yeah, I did a scene probably that size on later daters and it took me this much time. And then I got into it and I was like, this is way heavier than later yeah. daters was. It is not <laughs> as breezy. It is not as easy to come out because we're dealing with much more cerebral ideas and much more complicated characters it's it would take sometimes double the time and i'd be like okay so i was wrong this is this is how much time it took but then like after a couple sprints i was like okay now i have a sense of what this job requires yeah and then i was able to give much more realistic estimates Love um it. but like on that like especially because like it's it was free it was freelance it was remote because of the lockdowns and everything um i would wake up uh take my dog for a walk sit down at my desk you know crack your knuckles and kind of get started and i'd work until i've I, I tend not to i tend not to be about uh hours and more about just until i run out of steam because like Unless you're really fighting against a deadline, I have almost never found it to be productive to force stuff out. Yeah. Like if you're if you're at it for five hours and then the fingers are just like, I don't know, man, what are words anyway? <laughs> uh, trying to just force them to do it oftentimes doesn't yield you anything worth putting down anyway. Yeah. Um. So you just gotta you just gotta get up from your desk and let your brain rest for a little bit. Maybe that means you come back to it because you've got a great idea a few hours later. Sometimes you come back in the morning. Um, but then you get to something like Gotham Knights and like we were talking about earlier, there's tons of different types of writing in something like Gotham Knights, right? You got codex entries, you got narrative collectibles, you got en enemy names, you've got dialogue, you've got like, there's so many different types of things. Um, but fortunately I got a real, I've got really smart bosses on Gotham Knights. I've got a narrative designer who's like King sh queen shit. I've got a lead writer who's super savvy and super smart and they've all, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they keep track of it, uh, but they'll assign me something. They'll say, go forth and execute on X. I'll work on it. Uh, and, and Gotham Knights is a strictly nine to five job uh, where they're, they're not about crunching over there at uh, WB Montreal. They're nice. very sp straightforward of like, we keep office hours. Work-life balance is very important here. That's great. Um, so I would just I would work until it got finished. Then I would report the work to my boss and be like, hey, here it is. We have a, a structure of how to submit that work. And then I would basically get the next assignment. They'd say, here's this other thing. And basically just wash, rinse, repeat until I get notes back on something. And then you kind of loop back, re-execute on that thing, and then kind of repeat the process until you get approved. And then the approved stuff uh, gets put in engine. Uh, we're responsible for doing that ourselves, uh, which was a really great experience because I it was my first time. Uh, Gotham Knights is my sixth 
game that I've worked on, and it was the first time working in engine with anything, which was really cool. Nice. Um, and then you just kind of keep going. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of self initiation. You've gotta you've gotta have the discipline to be able to sit here without somebody staring over your shoulder and and have at it. I like to have music on in the background because I like something aside from the sound of my keys to you know keep me company. <laughs> right. Um, and then I take my dog for a walk on my lunch break to get away from my desk and away from my screens and stuff like that. But it's, I mean, it's, it, it certainly doesn't look sexy while you're doing it. Like, it's like, you know, you kind of look like a gremlin hunched over. I've got blackout blinds, uh, so that the sun doesn't come in. Like, cause again, it, this room gets really hot when, when it gets really sunny. So like, I'm just like, I'm just like in a hoodie, like just like, <laughs> like <laughs> over my keyboard all day. <laughs> so you're like me. You work at your streaming setup as well, right? Like your office is I just do, your yeah, sanctuary. Yeah. I, I, all, everything happens here. This is where I work. This is where I play. Yeah. Nice. So we are actually almost out of time, which this time has flown by. That that crash in the in the middle didn't help. But uh, <laughs> so before we we end, though, I'm curious. If people would like to reach out to you, how would you like for them to do that? And is there anything about yourself or projects or anything that you want to let us know about? Uh, yeah, if you if you want to get in touch, the easiest way is Twitter. I am on there all the time. Uh, it's kind of like my my main online presence. Um, and that's at Ashley Versus, just like my username. Uh, so that's, that's how you spell it. I just dropped it in chat. Um, I'm there all the time. My DMs are open. So if you want to DM me about something, please do. Um, I am only in the position that I am in currently because people more experienced than me were generous with their time. And that is something that I find very important to pay forward. Um, so anytime anybody wants to talk about the industry or talk about like whatever kind of questions they might have, I'm always happy to to put some time aside whether it's DMing or just to have a call online or whatever the fuck. Um, I love, I love chatting about this kind of stuff. Uh, so happy to do it. I also uh, stream retro games periodically. That's not like work related or anything like that. But if you want to hang out, uh, you can find me in that username as well. I love it. That's perfect. All right. Anything else you want to let us know about before we wrap up for the night? Uh, I mean, I'm about to end my life as a freelancer. That's very exciting. That is uh, exciting. <laughs> I'm very pumped. Uh, I wish I could talk more. I wish I could talk more about it. Um, but the, the ink is not dry yet. So maybe, maybe I'll be back. Uh, and we can talk about it after I got that under my belt for a while. That's a great idea. We'll make that happen. And I'm, I'm excited for you and I can't wait to hear more about it. All right. In that case, I'm going to jump off here and say my goodbyes. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad there's some really great stuff in here. I appreciate you, and I will talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right. Have a good one. Later. You too. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can join us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. Every Tuesday, I'll have a new podcast episode ready for you. Be sure to follow me on all of my social media using the links in the show notes and join the Dev Team Discord to be a part of the conversation anytime. We'll see you soon. <laughs>